Oki. Minko cheese chased kom aki. My name's Michelle Robinson. I am here in Calgary, Alberta. I was born here. I was proud to be here. And this area before Confederacy was Blackfoot Territory. And 1877, Treaty 7 was signed, which brought in the Stony Nakoda, Wesley Chiniki, Bearspaw Nations, as well as Sutina. And I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, and Inuit from across Turtle Island that come here to call Calgary home. I'm really happy to be talking to folks today. I uh, have had a huge break from being regular with my podcast because I've actually just found my life to be insane. Um, so today we are the day before a holiday, basically. So we're kind of going over a few things since our last pod uh, podcast update, which was my family and I just kind of debriefing and talking about how the campaign was on all of us and you know, since then, a lot of things have been happening in my life where I have to work. I mean, ultimately, work is number one thing. Um, doing a lot of uh, conversations about anti-racism. And I, I had some uh, eureka moments while doing that work. And one of that was that uh, I actually never have an opportunity to just kind of talk about those things. I think that my podcast was kind of my own um, way of talking about anti-racism, but for the first time, uh, I sat in a, a room full of racialized people. So we had um, people who identify as black, people who identify as um, new immigrants. Uh, we had Filipinos. We had um, people from India, Bangladesh, and uh, there was two natives in in the room. And yeah, it was just great. <laughs> have a conversation about racism and and not it be us leading a parade or organizing a march or something like that. It was just us talking about <clears throat> trying to teach people who aren't racialized, racialized issues, and then realizing the emotional labor that we all experience from that and articulating it for the first time. So I found that to be incredible. And I wish that on everybody, because if you are doing this work of talking to different organizations about racism, it's really difficult work. It's emotionally taxing. And I can just speak for myself and say, you know, I related to what everyone in the room had to say about it. It's draining. You feel like you're not worthy enough talking about this issue. Um, you feel bad at the end of it for a day at least because there's this expectation of um, uh, that I put on myself and I, I really got that impression from others in the room that, you know, you need to nail it every single time and there's no place to debrief after. So you just kind of got to eat those feelings and, uh, you know, exist and trying to think, how could I have said something better? How could I have connected better? And I know for me, I tried to make peace with the fact that there are a lot of folks that just will never understand racism, not interested in it. And I actually just recently had a land acknowledgement uh, conversation that was awful. And it was awful because the person who brought me in, I could tell she was forced to bring me in and she wasn't excited about the con conversation or the topic. And uh, as I was about to get started, she asked me, do you work for the city? Like, I don't understand who you are and why you're here. And I thought, you just brought me in here. 
and then you don't even know who I am, even though we were talking via um, email, even though anybody can Google me and know, you know, who I am, what I'm about, where I work. Um, so that unfortunately really set the tone. Um, most of the folks in the room had their arms crossed. Uh, thankfully, I have a feedback form. And of the people who were obviously engaged, you know, very kind things to say about how we needed more time to talk about it. But the organizer, she wouldn't even allow me to do the debrief after. So I felt very unsafe and I felt absolutely awful. And um, that night we had this conversation roundtable of what it feels like to talk about racism. And I needed that so badly because I just feel so alone and you know, when Harper did the cuts to Kwai and we didn't have Kwai events anymore, uh, that was a really isolating feeling because it was, that was one of the first times I felt like there are other natives in the city that are trying to do good work that understand these feelings that I'm having. And that was taken away. And um, so having this conversation was really inspiring and normalizing. And it just, there were folks in the room that gave me words to how I feel about things that I didn't realize I was even feeling and was finally able to give that expression. I'm bringing all of this up because I think that we talk about anti-racism work and like, for example, the one land acknowledgement that I did was awful. Never, you know, gave me a thank you card, never touched base with me after and uh, really just seemed upset that I even had to be there. And if that's how the organizer is making me feel coming into the event, I mean, I can't, I ask the question, is there anyone in the room that identifies as Indigenous? Not one person put up their hand. And which shows me obviously how anti-Indigenous the organization is. So it was awful, <clears throat> just an awful experience. And I was really grateful to have that after event to talk to other people and while we talked about what it's like to take leadership roles in the city talking about anti-racism we made bath bombs and it was wonderful because you have those smells of essential oils and you know at the end you have something that you can actually use so i haven't used them yet they're supposed to take a couple of days to dry and um and coincidentally my dog got sprayed with a skunk so my bigger concern was just trying to get the smell out of the house. And uh, so that all happened on one day. My my dog got skunked. I went to this land acknowledgement that they didn't want me at. And then I went to do bath bombs at the night. And just that I just really feel has saved me. Um, you know, I, I had lost a lot of um, will to want to continue doing the work because, you know, so many folks don't seem very engaged in these conversations. And we've had uh, such a shift in the political climate. It's interesting um, having friends across the nation because out east, uh, they don't feel it. But out here, I mean, it's it's so strong, this new feeling of um, being under, you know, Tory rule. And most of the conservatives at the federal level come from here. On top of that, um, I mean, here in Alberta, for those who do not know what it's like, if you travel anywhere outside of the major cities, they have uh, billboards all across the province for pro-life ads. So you get to see fetuses everywhere you go, and you get to hear about controlling women everywhere you go. 
And it, it's incredible how many folks don't understand that this is actually happening here. Um, there's, and I don't want to name the lobby group, but there's a lobby group here that does constant ongoing pro-life leadership teaching. So they pay $200 a person to learn how to become a pro-life leader. And what happened recently in the news was that Alabama has a new uh, women control, uterus control uh, law that that forces 11-year-old girls to be having, um, carrying a baby. And that's what's happened in the news is that we have an 11-year-old forced to carry a baby. So um, I, I'm over the like top of rage right now about the conversation because here in Alberta, like there are people I grew up with who, you know, have just drank the Christian doctrine and believe this to be 100% true and um, really and truly see the fetus as the v real victim here and not the 11-year-old who's forced to carry this baby. And um, I'm so infuriated by this conversation because I know for me, um, you know, I've been, there's a lot of reasons why I talk to my daughter about, you know, sexual organs and sex and protection and all these things because one, um, there's this book that says, my mom says, and my mom says is written by a police officer who is a former sex crimes unit um, officer. And she basically talked about how children need to understand the language because in a court of law, when they go to uh, testify against anybody who may have molested them, they have to use the words of, you know, um, um, vagina, bum, um, boobs, things like that. So this book, and I've had it for like two decades, this book actually goes on about bikini area and how, you know, you touch private parts, things like that. So I've been giving my daughter this language for years and years because um, we've had issues in our own family about this. And I just absolutely want to, you know, prevent, prevent, prevent whatever I can do. And with my daughter, we've had a lot of conversations. And the irony is, despite that, we still haven't talked about a lot of things that I still need to talk to her about. And I've tried to give her the concept of what miscarriage and abortion is, but she's only 11. So she actually can't comprehend everything that I'm talking about, and she doesn't want to. And there's and it's uncomfortable. So I was trying to talk to her about what had happened to this 11-year-old in Alabama, and she couldn't even process it. She started to cry. We couldn't ever really have that conversation. And unfortunately, um, one of the things that I've never wanted to do that I did with this conversation was that uh, conversation that I think 99% of folks in my generation had with their parents. And it was the sex talk that, do you know how it works? Good? Okay. All right. Moving on. And that's literally the conversation I had with my daughter when I could tell this was too uncomfortable for not just her, but for me too. And I, I actually take a lot of pride in not being like that with my daughter. But with this conversation, it upsets her. So why would I want to have a conversation with her about something that's so upsetting? Now, she's 11. This girl in Alabama is 11. 
This little girl in Alabama is being forced to carry a baby. I can't even have this conversation with my daughter. How are we expecting this little girl to carry this baby? It's really hard for me. I want to get emotional because, um, I mean, I wanted to have my daughter. I was 30. And even though I knew the physiological changes that I would go through and how hard it would be, I would never force that upon anyone. And it was interesting after I had my baby, there was a lot of people who knew I was pro-life who just assumed that by having a daughter, I would then become pro-life. And I said the opposite. I cannot believe anybody would force another woman to go through any of this. And um, that's to this day, obviously, I feel that way. But now to know I have an 11 year old and to know anybody in this world would force her to have an abortion. Like, seriously, this is like peppermint rage I have. And peppermint is a movie about a mom who just took it upon herself to like kill everybody associated with um, the court of her, her family that died. And this is a fictional movie. This is not based on real life, but um, it was kind of like a Linda Hamilton Terminator (laughs) type role. And, um, you know, I really, really um, felt that because if somebody were to hurt my family, I, you know, that's the type of rage I feel as well. And I uh, just can't even believe we're having this conversation. So there are some folks here in even Calgary that are talking about organizing when it comes to, you know, some type of anti-choice um, march, uh, you know, having or well, like a, a rally against all of this insanity, uh, pro-life um rhetoric that Christianity has, uh, you know, indoctrinated North America with. And I'm just going to say this too, because a lot of people probably don't understand this concept. Again, The Importance of Monogamy is a book that was written by Sarah Carter. It's one of my favorite books to talk about nation building of Alberta, because it shows how Alberta was purposely structured to set up that only white male Christian men could own land. And that's what Christianity works with. That's why it all fits together so well. So it's not just here that this has happened to colonialism and forced Christian doctrine has been a global issue. And of course, um, I shared a link about Guatemala, because they have lots of, you know, babies having babies, simply because of this Christian doctrine that's been forced upon everybody and the concept of you know, seeing women as chattel and controlling their bodies is is just so normalized for so many folks now. And um, this was all brought in by this idea, this this religion. And I um, now we see these these effects. And I mean, statistically, I've I'm forty. I've known this for years and years and years that the cycle of poverty just continues and repeats as soon as you have a young teenage pregnancy or. In this case, she's not even a teenager. She's 11. I can't even believe I'm having this conversation. But lots of 11-year-olds across the globe are having babies because of patriarchy and this forced concept that women are only good for this one thing. So uh, with that in mind, I I wanted to, you know, it it's a, a subject that needs dis- dissecting so that folks understand why this is such a harmful conversation to have. Like if you truly care about, you know, uh, poverty reduction, if you truly care about um, allowing women to live to their full potential, the, these are, 
I can't believe we have to have these conversations in 2019. And more infuriating is that there were folks out east that, um, you know, obviously don't live here in the Christian world. And they're like, oh, this is a non-issue. It was even more infuriating, obviously, coming from a man who has no concept of, you know, this (laughs) female control that um, we've lived under. And then, you know, I obviously have experienced it very differently than those some other folks because of, uh, you know, growing up in Alberta, domestic violence, and just that continued idea of patriarchy. Because I know even in my own family, we, we have a lot of folks that aren't uh, religious at all. But the, you know, outcome of this religious belief system and seeing women as chattel is, I mean, you don't have to believe in God the way uh, people who go to church regularly do, but you can still have that insidi- insidious uh, sexism in your head that it's okay to uh, force women to have children and women aren't good for anything but and and just that concept that is pervasive of male toxicity especially within domestic violence and such that's just a ongoing cycle so these are uh, things I'm very worried about very concerned about I want to continue having those conversations I know that uh, federally Andrew Shear's people and Andrew Shear like we are not going to open up this conversation. We're not going to have this debate. We're we're not going to talk about it. But him himself, he's been at pro-life rallies. Um, there was a pro-life rally here in, in Alberta. And sure as shit, there had to be a few of the MLAs show up for that. The conservative MLAs, of course. Uh, my understanding was that there were NDP counter-protests. So hats off to those folks who did that. I... Uh, couldn't make it for a million reasons. I'm just trying to survive at this point when it comes to work and um, trying to get my family's life back to normal. Like we've just had everything everywhere. So we're just slowly working at those things, which is why it's important for me to go on this vacation. So I, um, so that was kind of the biggest thing I wanted to talk about was this idea of uh, abortion, anti-choice, pro-life, um, you know, colonialism bringing these ideals here. I mean, I don't want to take away from the fact that a lot of indigenous people like truly just value life and, uh, and, and would have many, many babies and polygamy was a thing. That's why this book, um, the importance of monogamy is so important because it really shows how it destroyed the Blackfoot way of life and the Blackfoot way of marriage and the Blackfoot way of, um, allowing there to be multiple wives as long as the whole tribe was taken care of. And uh, that was all eradicated with the forced Christian doctrine in, in Alberta. And I think that, again, this is important when you're talking about women and being chattel and being owned. And um, and there is conversations, too, happening about polygamy out in BC because the fellow who um, is part of the and I want to call them fundamental Mormons, not Mormons, because there is a difference apparently. And the fundamental Mormons, people call them the fundies. They believe in polygamy. And uh, this guy from like Bountiful, BC, it apparently went down to the States and married off a little 12-year-old or something. And, and uh, you know, so that's obviously something I don't agree with at all. But the point is, is that... Um, these conversations of polygamy are happening and unfortunately they're really skewed about how they have these conversations because there's cultural understanding from an indigenous point of view, but then in the religious ways, you know, for them to be 
I I know that there was a show about, you know, adult women consenting to polygamy. And I'm okay with that. Um, but the obviously children should never be like that's just human trafficking from my point of view. So yeah, I'd love to hear your point of view. I've I'm assuming a lot of people who listen to this show, which I've been hearing more of from folks. So I know now that there are people listening and that you are, you know, uh, thinking about what I'm saying and, and learning a lot. And I'm really grateful for that feedback when I see you in real life or if I get a private message out of the blue on Facebook from you. Um, these things really matter to me and I, I'm glad they matter to you too. So the more that you give me feedback, the more I can throw it up on uh, on the podcast and, and say thank you, and especially to my Patreon account um, supporters. Obviously, me being able to do this is something that I, I want to do for my own mental health, but also to, you know, talk about present day issues from my lens as opposed to what uh, mainstream media is is giving you, because obviously nobody talks about indigenous issues enough in my opinion and they don't give an indigenous lens on any topic and um you know if you're not doing land acknowledgments if you don't understand your settler privilege these are things that matter to me and i want to be able to um if asked upon talk about those issues one of the things that came across my feed yesterday that i was super excited about was a conversation about reconciliation and um there's a survey that went out asking people about, you know, uh, Reconciliation Canada. I've seen a few people who are not happy about Reconciliation Canada's existence. And, um, you know, I <laughs> I don't understand why, from my point of view, Indigenous business is good. I know for me, being at that one conversation about land acknowledgement and trying to teach, do the breakdown of land acknowledgement, how important it is for us to have resources and support. And anyway, I answered the um, survey that they put out and I, I gave some really clear answers as to some of the barriers that I am facing from, you know, racial battle fatigue and such, you know, those are always issues that I think any, anyone of color, let alone indigenous are always talking about settler privilege is something people are really uncomfortable talking about and uh, and it's too bad because, I mean, I have a lot of pride in the fact that my, our people have been able to survive, you know, smallpox, government regulation after government regulation, the Indian Act, Indian Residential Schools, 60 Scoop, all these things that are constantly ongoing today, you know, with uh, child apprehension rates today with lack of clean drinking water. And our folks are still living, still doing it. And I'm, uh, I'm pretty, I guess, in awe all across the country when I read about different struggles that folks have been having and what they've been able to accomplish and uh, what they do. Like, I feel like our Indigenous population here in Canada is like all the Gretas in a country or all the uh, Malalas in a, in a country. And I'm really proud of everybody and their struggle and what they've gone through. And we have amazing things happening all the time. I was really proud. Autumn Eagle Speaker and her sister, Mallory, you've probably seen me wearing her earrings all the time. They put out another wonderful Indigenous um, art fair yesterday, and I wish I could have gone. But instead, I was sitting at home struggling with a sewing machine, hoping to get 
some skirts done and I'm still, that's my next thing when I'm done this podcast is to head up, try to finish off my ribbon skirts and I don't know if I'm going to have them done to go on vacation with tomorrow, but you know, at least I gave a good try with the one and it's so close. So I might even call in a friend and ask them if I can use their uh, sewing machine just for a few zips so that my daughter has her ribbon skirt that's basically done. It just needs the uh, elastic put in and the, the side hem. So yeah, so that's what's going on in my world. Uh, really uh, promote Pam Palmater. She put out um, an article and then read it in her podcast. And I think it's really critical information for those interested in reconciliation, uh, especially if you're in the academic sense. There's uh, the whole conversation that's based off of the you know poor things that she's seen and the positive things that she's seen and the actual calls to action from the 94 calls to action that should be implemented, that are not being implemented. And uh, yeah, still one of my favorite leaders. I've seen Derek Nipponak posting some really great information. And, you know, just it's a it's a good reminder. I, I feel sometimes the burden and the weight of responsibility to talk about reconciliation because I was, you know, lucky enough to even be here thanks to my family. And um, I just want to put that out there again because... For for me, I, I I wouldn't use the word burden. I would use the word responsibility because <laughs> I didn't have to go through all of that. I have to live with the consequences of this Christian worldview that everybody has here. No, no doubt I have to deal with that, but I don't have to deal with, you know, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse that my, my family had to go through in order for me to be here today. So I just, uh, I feel that responsibility to implement those 94 calls to action at a, at a really great level. And I, I hope that for more the folks that they start to understand why this is so important. Um, another wonderful thing that I, I love that I put out there that other people really loved was actually done by Tim Fox at the Calgary Foundation. And so a really great video about land acknowledgement. So, you know, if you have five minutes, go watch that video. It's a great video to explain land acknowledgement as well. And uh, yeah, th that's what's going on in my world. Our next book at 12 Community Safety Initiative is Son of a Trickster by Eden Robinson. Uh, that's in June. Not having book club this weekend because it's a long weekend. And for the first time, I'm going to go on a vacation with my family in a super long time. We're even bringing the dogs. So I'm super excited about that. And uh, yeah, we'll be back shortly. And then I'll do another podcast about all uh, the great reconciliation work going on in, in uh, the country, I'm sure. And maybe there will be some new updates with this abortion law that happened in Alabama. Apparently, last night on SNL, uh, Leslie Jones said something about it. So I got to go find that and queue it up and have a look. And yeah, let's hope that we can actually give autonomy to women and their bodies. I can't believe in 2019 we are having this conversation and um, like this is basic, basic rights. And I also wanted to point out one other thing. I'm really grateful to the trans community for pointing this out. Um, uteruses aren't always just in people who identify as women. And uh, so I really enjoyed the new, um, I guess, phrase, the conversation about having just, you know, uterus health care, because that's what it is. It's just uterus health care. And yes, some men can get pregnant and some 
people don't identify as women and have uteruses. And I think that we do have to start being more trans inclusive. And this is an issue about control, controlling of the uterus. And I can't believe we have to have this conversation. I can't believe people don't see 11 year old girls as victims of, you know, molestation, rape, and survivors of these, and that we're going to force them to have babies. I or as one lady suggested we force them to um, give their babies up for adoption. I seriously peppermint rage when I hear that kind of stuff. So uh, be kind to our children. I can't believe I have to tell you this. Um, and that's where I'm at. So with that, I want to say thank you to my dad for teaching me to be uh, just some blunt bitch, has no problem speaking her mind. Uh, thank my mom. Uh, she's sat to Dene way up in the Northwest Territories, doesn't live there anymore. But, you know, because of her, my, my family, I'm still here and I'm grateful for it. And uh, with that, I will say thank you to my Patreon account um, supporters. I don't think you understand. If it wasn't for your support, I don't know if I'd continue doing this work because the feedback that I get sometimes is just uh, when you don't get any feedback, you think, well, nobody's listening except, you know, my husband. That's it. So <laughs> having the most support and having a few folks now and then say, hey, I really learned a lot from your podcast. That means a lot to me. Um, oh, and one other thing, if you see anybody who's being harassed, just go sit with them, give them your card, you know ask them how they're doing, try to de-escalate those situations, please. And it doesn't matter. I don't know if it's a Muslim, if it's somebody who's trans, a person of color, just be kind to each other. I can't believe people actually think it's okay to tell people to go back to their countries because the only people who should be saying that would be natives. And even when they say it, it pisses me off because you know, we that's not what our ancestors signed treaty for, man. Our ancestors were, they don't see land ownership. We have to share the land. All we want is equality. So even if you're native and you're telling people to go back to their home, that's not cool either. Anyway, with that, have a good one. Bye.